Evening. Are you warm? Are you warm? You warm? Are you warm? You look like you're glistening in the sun. <laughs> Amen. If you have your Bibles tonight, go to 1 Samuel chapter number 17. 1 Samuel chapter number 17. Good to be in church in the middle of the week. First Samuel chapter number 17. It says she is so wide awake. She's like, hey, hello world, how are you? <laughs> All right, when you find your place here in First Samuel 17, we won't read the whole chapter. We'll read a few more verses here tonight. I'm trying to move a little bit farther through it. First Samuel, have you stand. We'll begin reading in verse number 12. Verse number 12. Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 12, Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. It just means he was an old man and highly respected because he had been a younger man. He had been serving in the army with Saul, you know. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of his three sons that went to the battle were Eliab, Firstborn, and next unto him Abinadab, and the third Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. I've often thought about that because they were there, they were present when David was anointed, right? So to me, it seems like kind of a uncertain or a, maybe a divided loyalty because you got the three eldest sons of Jesse, they're following Saul, but yet they know that little. Shepherd boy brother there is going to be king. I, I, I can't imagine being in their head. But anyway, that's not the message, just a thought. And the Bible says, And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself 40 days. That's a great number to study. I believe it's representation of testing. We won't go through that. But that's a great number. You want to study 40 in the Bible. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now for thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn, and these ten loaves, ephah is three-quarters of a bushel if you even care, uh, these ten loaves, and run to the camp to thy brethren, and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand, and look how their, thy brethren fare, and take their pledge. Now Saul and they and all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah, fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the trench as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. Array just means they're arranging troops. You know what I mean? They're positioning. They're not swinging swords yet, but they're just getting everything moved into place and arranged. And just in case someone sneezes at the wrong time, then they're going to head after it, you know? And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. Of course, them words are in verses 8 to 10. We read last week. And all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him 
and were sore afraid. Not only were they afraid because uh, he was a big fella, about nine and a half foot, and all that armor we went through last week, but if you remember back in verse 11, they're afraid because their leader was afraid. King Saul, he was, he was afraid, and obviously the scriptures declare it, and I believe that's why the people were afraid. Uh, the Bible says in verse uh, 25, And the men of Israel said, Have you seen this man that has come up? Surely to defy Israel he has come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches, and will give him his daughter, and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine? You know what David's doing here? I don't know if you see it. David's stirring the people up. He's preaching. The Bible says, what is it? Verse, uh, what is it? Verse 20. And shouted for, he's, he's in the midst of the army. He's stirring. He's, he's preaching to them. I don't know if you can see it or not. And he says, And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, What shall be done to the man that killeth this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, So shall it be done to the man that killeth him. Now here it goes, verse 28. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard, I'm sorry, and his eldest brother heard when he spake unto the men. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David. And he said, Why camest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thine heart, for thou art come down that thou mightest see the battle. And David said, What have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him to, toward another and spake after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Let's pray. Father, we truly are thankful, Lord, to be in this little church house tonight in northern Michigan. And Father, all the signs of fall are now upon us, the cooler weather, the fading of the leaves. And Father, we thank you, Lord, for the seasons, Lord. And we pray tonight that, Lord, you would bless your word. And Father, I pray that you bless the word of any preacher preaching the King James Bible. And Father, we pray that you'd be with our members tonight, those who are sick. I think of Brother Jacobs as he's uh, in, in the hospital right now or in route to one. Father, I pray that you'd help him, strengthen him, restore him to health. I pray that you give the doctors wisdom. Lord, in the multitude of prayer requests that we have of people that are not doing well, Father, I pray that you'd encourage them. And Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight, Lord, to draw closer to you. Father, help us to receive the instruction through your word, Lord, even though it's the middle of the week. Again, Father, thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Within one of the greatest chapters of the Bible, and I believe there's a number of great chapters in the Bible, but in, within the greatest chapter of the Bible here, 1 Samuel chapter 17, uh, not only do you read about one of the greatest victories, David and Goliath, the victory that not only comes out of obscurity, I mean, think about it, this victory comes in a valley named Elah. <laughs> and uh, you say, what in the world does Elah mean? It means oak, <laughs> the valley of oaks. You know, you put me in a valley with oaks, I'm good if i got a saw, a <laughs> chainsaw, you know. <laughs> but uh, victory not only comes out of obscurity and in a valley, but I think it's interesting. We just read that this victory, it, uh, it's preceded by an altercation which would test 
the Warriors medal. I don't know what you, if, how you perceive what you just read, but to me this happens way too many times in the Christian life where the Christian, typified by David, who is a perfect and beautiful type of Jesus Christ, he's on his way to fight the battle, and guess what hoodwinks him? It's the brethren. You see what I mean? He gets, he gets in an altercation with the brethren. Uh, the Bible says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 5, For every battle of the warrior is with confused noise and garments rolled in blood. <laughs> Say, what did you read that for? Because every battle that you and I face for the Lord Jesus Christ is often confusing. There's a lot of noise. And you can't, you can't sometimes wonder what in the world is going on. There's all kinds of noise and confusion and casualties will abound. It's a bloody battle. But the temptation lies in that the devil is willing to use anything and he's use, willing to use anybody to uh, confuse the warrior. The devil, he wants to confuse the warrior. He wants to criticize the warrior. And in this passage, what he wants to do is he wants to curtail that warrior from getting the job done that needs to be done. And, uh, and then, of course, getting our focus off the real enemy. Who's the real enemy? Is it Eliab? No, he's on the same side. The real enemy is Goliath. You say, what is that? Well, Goliath is a picture of sin. The real enemy is sin. The real enemy is the world. The real enemy is the flesh. The real enemy is the devil. And many times, uh, <laughs> since we know in Revelation 12.10, the Bible says that the devil is the accuser of our brethren, it seems like many times the brethren like to do the devil's job for him. So, uh, as we try to do this, I'd like to preach about your older brother <laughs> tonight. You say, well, I don't have any older brother. I'm, the, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about, spiritually speaking, I want to preach about your older brother, and I'd like to look at Eliab. He is showcased in one verse. You realize that Eliab, he has the claim to fame in one verse. He shoots his mouth off in one verse, and are you ready for this? He is never heard from again in the scriptures. He, he, he is critical. He despises David, which is a perfect type of Christ. And David answers him perfectly. And you never hear from Eliab again. You say, did he get killed in the battle? We have no idea. History, biblical history, has a way of flushing out uh, the stinkers. Amen? But I want to preach about your older brother. Your older brother. And through the text, uncover what the scriptures reveal about him. Real simply tonight, I look at verse 28. I want you to see here that your older brother, many times, has an anger problem. He's got an anger problem. The Bible says in verse 28, Eliab's anger was kindled. An interesting thing, uh, they would say today, uh, by today's standards, I hear this all the time, oh, he has anger issues. And I'm like, oh, he sure does. <laughs> yeah, he's got anger issues. And a lot of times as Christians, you got anger issues. You got a problem with anger. And what happens? Uh, that thing heats up like instantly. It's like a jet engine. And uh, I'll tell you what, since, since people, since Christians have problems with anger, you know what happens? They lose their ability to have discretion. Look at uh, Proverbs chapter 19. If you've got anger issues, uh, it's obvious you have no discretion whatsoever. 
And we're talking about the anger issues that Eliab has. His anger was kindled. That's like someone went from a pilot light to a jet flame instantaneously. Instantaneously. Proverbs chapter 19, uh, verse 11 uh, you, it ought to take some. It ought to take a little bit to get you wound up. Amen. Uh, you ought to be able to take a few on the chin. We, we would say it like that. Uh, that's what you would call being long suffering as a Christian. We're preaching about the older brother, but a lot of times this will pertain to us. Proverbs chapter nineteen. Look at verse eleven. Notice what the Bible says here in verse eleven. It says, "The discretion of a man deferreth his anger." Listen, when you pop your top. <laughs> Uh, you have zero discretion whatsoever, amen? He's just like, ah! You go from zero to 100. Like, okay, out the you just went off the grid. No discretion. When you got a problem with your anger, you don't have the ability to have discretion. You say, what is discretion? That's a big, uh, that's a big 30-cent word. Here's discretion. The disc- discretion is defined as the liberty or power acting without other control uh, than one's own judgment. That means you have the ability within you to keep it under control. And you know what a lot of Christians struggle with? The ability to keep it under control. They hear one thing and they're like, yeah. You ought to have some temper. Temper. You ought to have the ability to have your, uh, the old preacher would say this, uh, I didn't mean to dent your fender. <laughs> you know, you ought to be able, someone ought to be able to dent your fender and you not lose your mind over it. Well, here's the thing. David's presence simply sets Eliab off. You do realize the context going into this is Eliab was present at the anointing. We already covered that, right? Eliab and all them brothers were present, and they anointed David. <clears throat> and guess what? Uh, Jesse kept him home. Now, I know we, under, we read about uh, Saul wanting him to play, so forth, and so on, and being used there in the kingdom. But uh, the fact of the matter is he was the youngest, and Saul's like, okay, uh, you're anointed, that's great, boy, but you've got to tend to the sheep. Being an Ephrathite of Bethlehem's house of bread. Isn't it interesting that the, the first thing that Jesse has David do is take ten loaves? He's from the house of bread, and he's taking bread to feed his brethren. I find that interesting, but all alive, he has an anger problem. He's got no discretion. And uh, every Christian should have a fair amount of discretion. And this is tough to preach because it depends on where you're at, how much of that book that you have inside of you, and how much, how, how much you're reckoning yourself dead as to how much discretion you're going to have as a Christian. Uh, not only does he have no discretion, but notice this in Ecclesiastes 7, 9, he has no defense against foolishness. You realize when you lose your temper, I just say it without the original anything, you're just an idiot. Amen? You're just a fool. Ecclesiastes 7, 9. Now listen, we're not talking about you being uh, you uh, self-defense. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about uh, there's a time to, to, to get wound up. Amen. Uh, we're not talking about sin and you not being upset at sin. We're, not talk, we're, we're talking about you losing your temper like Eliab did here. But notice here, he has no defense against foolishness. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes 7, 9, Anger resteth in the bosom of fools. You've heard the illustration like this before. You're like this cup. You're a vessel and you contain something. And whatever you're full of, <laughs> if somebody bumps you, that's what's coming out. You bump this cup, water's coming out. If you're full of anger and someone bumps you, guess what's coming out? Have a nice day. Jesus loves you, <laughs> right? 
but uh, you have no defense against foolishness. No discretion, no defense against foolishness. Now look at this, Proverbs chapter 29, verse 22. Uh, your dis disposition is going to be to stir up strife. Stir up strife. Proverbs 25, verse 22. Now you know this verse. These are some great practical verses. Maybe they'll help you on uh, getting upset about things. But we're talking about your older brother. Older brother. And spiritually speaking, your disposition is going to be to stir up strife. Proverbs 25, 22 says, An angry man stirreth up strife. I don't know about you, but the old man used to tell me when I was uh, coming up, he used to say, well, if you stir it, it will stink. Right? <laughs> I think you get the idiom that's, uh, not the idiot, but the idiom that's being portrayed there. But uh, I'm just preaching about your older brother, and a lot of times when you deal with other Christians, you're going to find that on any other day, given day of the week, your older brother, he might not be older uh, physically, but he might be older spiritually, he's got an anger problem. All right, that's what I see from the text. Not only that, but notice here in verse 28, he's pretty demanding. He's demanding. In verse 28, first thing he says, why? Why camest thou down thither? You know what I want to say? Nunya. Amen? Nunya business. <laughs> But, you know, David, he's got a whole lot more character than I do, so he didn't say that. I'd have been like, you know, who you think, you know, what you talking about, Willis? But anyways, he's, uh, he's got anger issues and he's demanding. Um, and I don't know if this is making sense to anybody, but uh, oftentimes you as a Christian, you've got anger issues. You don't always respond right. And you can be downright demanding. I don't care how many people are here or not. That's just the truth. I'm going to preach the truth. Uh, whether I got a problem with it or not. Uh, and uh, uh, your older brother, he can be very, very demanding. Why comest thou down thither? And I was thinking about that. I was thinking about who examples in the Bible of things that are demanding. You know the world's very demanding. In Exodus chapter 5, verse 14, you know the first mention of demanding? Pharaoh's taskmasters. Perfect example, isn't it? The world is demanding, isn't it? You know what the world wanted? Well, the world wanted in Exodus chapter 5, verse 14, uh, the Pharaoh, Pharaoh's taskmasters, they wanted to know why a certain amount of work didn't get done. Sound familiar? And then I just like the world. Why isn't this done in business? Why didn't we make more money? That's what the world wants. They're very demanding. It's not, it's not what have you done for me, it's what have you done for me lately. <laughs> not have you driven a Ford lately, but some of you might have, Amen. But the world is very demanding. You see why as a, as a Christian, you shouldn't be demanding. Amen? You ever wonder why you're demanding as a Christian? It's just, I mean, look, everyone's got faults, whether you want to admit it or not. And sometimes you're just bossy. <laughs> right? You're demanding. And here's a lie. Your older brother, he, he's very demanding. Why come us out down there? Like the world. How about this? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, uh, he's demanding like Herod. Remember Herod? He had the uh, not-so-pure uh, motives. You know what Herod wanted to do? He wanted to kill anyone that was a king. He wanted to kill, so what did he do? Oh, he just went through Jerusalem and Judea and killed that was a male under two years old. Wicked man. So when the wise men show up, Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, he demands to know where this king is. Like, you're so smart, you figure it out, man. <laughs> But he's demanding, and Pharaoh, he's a king, he's demanding, and, uh, and that's, that's the picture, isn't it? Eliab thinks he's the man in charge, he's the older brother, 
I know more. I've been a Christian longer, you know. I've read my Bible so more than you have, and I'm more spiritual than you, and I dress right, and I do this and I do that. So you become demanding. Who are you? Who made you judge and jury? Amen. Well, he's demanding like the world. He's demanding like Herod was in the Scripture. And how about this? He's demanding like the Pharisees in Luke chapter 17. You know, when the Pharisees, the religious crowd, the religious elite was hanging around Jesus Christ just to criticize him, they demanded him of an answer of him in Luke 17, 20. He, they demanded an answer from Christ. When the kingdom of God should come. You say, why did they demand that? Well, number one, because they didn't have a clue. And number two, they wanted to make sure they were going. And number three, I think they just wanted to know what he knew. And when people ask you a question, there's usually a couple reasons they ask you that question. First of all, they ask you because they want to know what you know. Number two, they'll ask you because they want you to listen to what they think they know. And then the last reason, they actually do want to know. But generally, it's not because they want to know. How many have been asked a question before? And you, after you got done waxing elephants and you gave them the answers and all the scripture references, they didn't even listen to you. You're like, oh, yeah, you, you, were, just, you, were, just, you were just baiting the hook. You just wanted to see what I knew. You didn't want the answer. Uh, that's a lie. He's very demanding. Well, not only has he got anger issues, he's demanding. But I want you to notice this in verse 28. He likes to stick his nose in other people's business. Amen? Verse 28, with whom hast thou left those few sheep <laughs> in the wilderness? And I'm thinking at this point, uh, look, pal, when was the last time you actually shepherded sheep? You're the eldest. I'm sure you began shepherding some sheep with, you know, not Uncle Jesse, that's the Duke's hazard, but uh, Daddy Jesse there, right? But being the eldest, and First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 15 says, David the seventh, but in this passage, uh, we learn that there were eight, eight boys. You say, is there a discrepancy? No, maybe one died or maybe one was a grandson. That's how the King James Bible rolls. Uh, but I'm pretty sure that Eliab is not really interested in sheep. So what's he doing? He's just sticking his nose in everybody else's business. You know people like that? You know Christians like that? Say it ain't so, right? I don't know if I should say anything about that. But uh, I'm, just, I'm just uncovering the older brother. You know, there's two other older brothers in scriptures that would merit your attention to look at. Number one is Esau. And number two is the prodigal son's brother of Luke chapter 15. Very, very close ties to what we're preaching about. But he likes to stick his nose in other people's business. And that just kind of reminded me of the news media, amen? The news media loves that. That's, that's how they make their living. Can you imagine? It's like, what do you do for a living? I am a journalist. <laughs> You know, how can you say that with a straight face? Why don't you just say, you know what I do for a living? I get in everyone else's business and someone writes me a check for it. Ain't that cool? <laughs> that's what they do. Uh, that's, that's the news media. That is the press. And uh, when you think about the press, uh, Luke 19.3 comes to mind. And the Bible says concerning Zacchaeus, and he sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press. So that press, that news media, and I was just thinking this, when you stick your nose in other people's business, all you do is draw attention to yourself. Here I am with, uh, you know, XYZ News, and I'm here broadcasting the bank robbery of so-and-so. Well, look at you, man. you got a purple tie and a, you know, man, you, I can't say what you look like, but anyways, you're just drawing attention to yourself. You know, we cover everything first. <laughs> Whatever. 
you know, one, one thing happens and you get 25 stories. But they're just sticking their nose in everybody else's business. And when you do that, you know what's happening in verse 28. You know why Eliab is such the central character? Because he's sticking his nose in David's business. He didn't ask. He's just a jerk. Is that okay to say that from the pulpit? I'm not out of line. The guy's just a, he's just a jerk. I mean, we haven't even got to, you know, why he was there. We'll get to that in a minute. But he's just sticking his nose in other people's business. And when you stick your nose in other people's business, all you want to do is draw attention. Just remember, Eliab was there when David was anointed king. So I'm, I'm, I, it's looking like old Eliab's got a little bit of an inferiority complex here. He's a little man syndrome, and even, even though he's the oldest brother, and now he's got to be the guy that saves the day. Here, I'm going to stick my nose in your business. You know what I mean? And when you stick your nose in other people's business, you draw attention to yourself. Not only that, when you stick your nose in other people's business, you know who can't be seen? Jesus can't be seen. In that same passage, Luke 19, 3, the Bible says, and he sought to see Jesus and could not. Why? The press. What's the press? People sticking their nose in other people's business. I hate that stuff. I do. Our churches are filled with them. There's people in our church that do it, man. It drives me crazy. Stop sticking your nose in other people's business unless you want to be a liar. Amen? All right, now, there's three people that I see in the scriptures here that are affected by the press. Zacchaeus here in Luke 19. The woman with the issue of blood in Mark 5. You know what she had to do? Because the press was so heavy, she had to come behind and touch the hem of his garment. She had to come in the back door, per se. <laughs> and then, of course, Jesus' mother and Jesus' brethren in Luke chapter 8, they couldn't get to Jesus for the press. Listen, whenever you stick your nose in someone else's business, all it's going to do is elevate you and push Jesus out of the way. Well, that's just, uh, that's just like the press. And I was thinking, that's just like the Athenians. Go to Acts chapter 17. I'll show you just a couple things about this. It drives me crazy. Acts chapter 17. We're talking about the older brother. You might be that older brother. And you might think better of yourself. And you're, no, I'm David, you know. <laughs> Amen. Acts chapter 17. Oh, there's some people in the scriptures that love to stick their nose in everyone else's business. I'll show them to you. They're there all day long. They're right in the pews of our churches. <clears throat> you say, preacher, if you wouldn't preach like that, you might build yourself a church. I'm not trying to build a church. Amen? This is God's church. If he wants to build it, he'll build it himself, and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. All right, uh, Acts chapter 17, verse 21. Say, who are you mad at? Sin? That's it. Nobody. 1721, the Bible says, Paul says here, for all the Athenians and strangers were, uh, which were there spent their time in nothing else but either to tell or to hear some new thing. You see that? Sticking their nose in everyone else's business, the older brother, just like the Athenians. Athenians are like the God and country crowd. The God and country crowd, every time they come around, like, did you hear what happened to Trump? Uh, did you hear what happened to Biden? Did you hear what happened to Pelosi? Did you hear what happened to Schumer? Did you hear what happened to Feinstein? No, don't. Don't really care. Well, you're not a very good patriot. Oh, break in my house in the middle of the night and find out, I guess. Make me go to war. I guess you find out how good a patriot I am. Just because I don't stick my nose in everybody else's business, I don't stay on top of all that garbage, don't make me a bad patriot. Just don't make me 
nosy. I mean, what do I got to know what else is going on, man? Uh, Athenians are kind of like the, the Facebook Christian crowd, you know. Amen. Always up in everybody else's business. Here's the thing about this. I'm not just trying to be a jerk. I'm trying to preach some truth tonight, even if I'm doing it. This mindset disables your ability to serve the Lord. You say, why? Because you end up serving your own interests. Look at the passage. Acts 17, verse 21 They spent their time in nothing else. You see it? Nothing. You can't serve the Lord. You can't be the Christian you need to. All you're doing is listening to stuff or passing stuff on. That's hard stuff, ain't it? If you're honest, say amen. That's hard stuff and that's hard preaching because ain't nobody I ever met don't like a good old juicy tail, amen? (laughs) Especially if it's true. You know, and of course, every time you hear it, you're like, of course, you, uh, you've vetted that, right? You, you ran that through Snopes, <laughs> whatever, whatever the vetting thing, <laughs> right? <laughs> Didn't Zuckerberg own Snopes? I don't know. <laughs> I'm probably incriminating myself, and, and nobody's going to say, oh, you're right, preacher. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but anyway, he says he liked to stick his nose in other people's business. That's right in verse 28. And uh, like, the, like the news media, like the press, like the Athenians. How about like Peter? Look at John 21. Here's one. It's always been there, and the more you uh, read this book, the more the Lord will show it to you. And I'm sure you already know all this. I'm not saying that sarcastic. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you do. I'm a slow learner. John 21, you know what happens. Peter's been out of fellowship with the Lord, right? So now Peter's going to get back on a straight and narrow. He gets back into fellowship. And Peter is not even in fellowship with the Lord for 30 seconds. And look at verse 21, <clears throat> 22. No, no, 20, 20. Then Peter, right, after he says, follow me in verse 19, oh, he's in fellowship, right? Then Peter, what does he do? Turning about. You see that? I'm like, that was his problem. He took his eyes off the Lord. You think Peter would have learned that when he was walking on the water. Jesus is right in front of him, and the verse says, then Peter, turning about... Seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, mind your own business. No, he didn't say that. He says, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. You see, the Lord's concerned about your direction, and we shouldn't be concerned about anyone else's direction. I'm just showing that because he likes to stick his nose in everybody else's business, like, like the news media, like the press, like the Athenians, and like Peter. Here, I'll, I'll give you number four here in verse 28. Something that, about your older brother. I hate to say it, but he is a know-it-all. <laughs> He's a know-it-all. You ever, you ever met a know-it-all? <laughs> I didn't say, have you been a know-it-all? Have you ever met a know-it-all? Don't they irritate you to no end? Especially if they act like they know more than you. Amen. At verse 28, Eliab says, I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy... Yes, yes, let's use third grade words on me. Thank you, bro. Right? For thou art come down to see the battle. I know I'm being sarcastic, but I just, I want to go... But David's a much better man than I am. He doesn't. But he's a know-it-all. And uh, 
his know-it-all attitude, you know what it is? It's accusatory. It's accusatory. Listen, in this country, when the police pull you over, when their questions go from investigatory to accusatory, they have to read you your rights. And, and Eliab, he doesn't even read David his rights. He just reads in the riot act. It's accusatory. <clears throat> That's what I'm thinking. Amen. But he, uh, his know-it-all attitude is accusatory. You say, how so? He says, I know thy pride. Really? Oh, okay. You're the, you're, the, you're the Christian police because you can see my heart, right? That's your older brother. I know thy pride. You're just full of pride. <clears throat> Amen. No, he's a know-it-all. And uh, look at Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, here's the prodigal son's older brother. Now, you're going to have to deal with the older brother, and you can deal with him the way that your preacher thinks about dealing with him, which is probably not the right way. We know it's not. Or you can deal with him like in verse 29 and 30 like David does, and just it becomes just a blip in the Scriptures because he handles it the right way. Look at 15 verse 30. Uh, go to 29. Uh, uh, this is the older brother, and he's talking to the father, and he answering said to his father, Lo, uh, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gavest me a kid. Uh, talking about a goat, not like, you know, he wanted to adopt a son or daughter, you know, that I may make merry with my friends. Now, you didn't throw no party for me, old man. Verse 30, but as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots. How does he know that? You ever think that? Yeah, you ever think, how does he? There was no Facebook. There was no cell phones. But you see the accusatory remarks? He's assuming. You say, why did he assume that? Oh, possibly because he had thought about going out and doing that. And since he thought that if you ran off, and uh, didn't do what you were told, then probably you would react the same way. Listen, not everyone's going to do what you do. And if you got out there in the hog pen and you blew it, doesn't mean everybody else is going to do it the way you did it. But, uh, and, but as soon as this thy son was come, which had devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. It's accusatory. Look at Genesis 27. I'll show you the other one. Here are two older brothers. They're accusatory. They got an anger problem. Uh, they like to stick their nose in other people's business. What was it? Why was it the older brother's business what the prodigal son's father did for him? You see what I mean? You ever, you ever stop and wonder what business is it of yours, what the Lord does with his sons? But we, sometimes we find ourselves, why, why what's going on, right? And, and and the Holy Spirit's like, mind your own business. No, follow thou me. And Peter, his eyes are on the Lord. Oh, I'm going to tell you, I love you. But what about this guy? <laughs> no, back here, Pete. <laughs> Genesis 27. Uh, look at verse number uh, oh, 36. 27, 36. Bible says here, uh, this is after uh, Esau got the, the blessing. And uh, Esau, I'm sorry, Jacob got the blessing instead of Esau. And Esau was talking to his father. Look at verse 34. And when Esau heard the words of his father, he cried with a great and exceeding bitter cry and said unto his father, Bless me, even me also, my father. And he said, 
Thy brother came with subtlety, uh, subtlety and hath taken away the blessing. And he said, Is not he rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? Liar. He took away my birthright. Whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute here. Uh, go back to, uh, uh, here's the other reference I had here. Uh, go back to 2533 in Genesis. Took away my birthright, did he? You little liar. He didn't take it from you. You sold it to him. 2533. And Jacob said, swear to me this day. And he swore unto him and he sold. He what? He sold. Did Jacob take it? He sold it. Now, once the transaction was made, he took possession of it. <laughs> but he sold his birthright. You see that? That's accusatory. Uh, he's a know-it-all. His, uh, his know-it-all attitude is accusatory. And he says, I know the pride. He says, I know the naughtiness of thine heart, right? Now, look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. A little bit of turning tonight, but I want you to show how this can relate to you and I. <clears throat> in these last days that you and I live in, you and I have to be on guard for this stuff. You and I have to be on guard for our anger. Christians are out of control. And uh, you say, why are they out of control? Look around you, man. This world's out of control, and instead of keeping their eyes on Jesus Christ, they're putting it on this world. They're putting it on this world's leaders. They're putting it on this world's institutions and finances and functions, and they're losing their mind because their eyes aren't on Jesus Christ. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 3. Notice, notice the uh, details of the last days. Uh, this know also, verse 1, that in the last days perilous times shall come. I believe they're here. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemy, disobedient to parents, unthankful. That's Christians. Unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. That's all your divorces. How about this one? False accusers. There are people that accuse me and they don't even know me. People that accuse you for going here, they don't even know who you are. A bunch of false accusers. What are they? They're just the older brother. They've got anger issues. They love to stick their nose in everyone else's business. Amen. You picking it up tonight? Not only is it accusatory, but how about this? It's derogatory. Didn't the Bible say in Ephesians 4.32, to be a kind? <laughs> I hate that word sometimes. Be a kind. Kind. One to another. Tenderhearted. Forgiving one another. Man, it's hard to forgive, ain't it? It is for me. You say, well, it's generally hard to forgive. Jesus Christ forgave you. Yeah, he's for you to say, man. Sometimes it's hard to forgive. Why? Because some people, I would just like to high-five in the face with a hammer. Amen? Yeah. But it's hard. But he said, be a kind <laughs> one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven your sorry carcass. Amen? <laughs> it's in the original germ Greek, so... <laughs> But uh, it's derogatory. You know why kindness is so hard? I just looked at a couple of scriptures in the New Testament. I know you know this. But uh, two references come to mind. I'll give them to you. We don't have to turn there. Uh, I believe kindness is so difficult because in Colossians 3.12, you and I are instructed to put it on. That is, it don't come natural. Look, I know some people's personalities are like bubbly and buoyant and just beautiful and some are boring, right? Amen. But kindness does not come naturally. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. You have to put it on. Not only that, but Peter says in, uh, what is it, Second Peter? 
It is 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that kindness is something that you must add to your faith. You see, when you get saved, you trust Jesus Christ by grace through faith. Amen? And what you have to do now that He has saved you, you made the decision to trust Christ. He did the miraculous work of the new birth, not you. Now you have to add that to your faith. That takes work. And Paul likens it to putting on a garment. That's putting on the new man. So if you're not actually attempting to be kind, now listen, I understand that some sometimes gals can uh, be more feminine, but just feminine is not always kind. It's just softer. But you have to work at it. That's why it's difficult. But it's not only accusatory, but it's derogatory. And you and I, we're supposed to, uh, uh, we're supposed to, oh, this is my next point, get ahead of myself. It's derogatory, but it's also inflammatory. <laughs> it's inflammatory. You see, as a Christian in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, we're supposed to prefer one another instead of provoke one another. And you know what Lib's doing? He's picking at you. Like, hey, you little punk, I know you think you're big and bad and all that anointing stuff, but you ain't nothing. Here, we're the seals. We're the Navy seals, and you're just the shepherd boy, you know. Go home with the sheep, bah, and all that, right? And, and he's just picking on him. He's provoking him. But the Bible says, in honor, preferring one another. I'm supposed to prefer you above myself. You know why that's difficult? Because as men, we love ourselves. The Bible says no man yet ever hated his own flesh. <laughs> you get hungry, what do you do? You eat, and uh, we're supposed to prefer one another instead of provoke one another. So those accusations, uh, they're derogatory, they're inflammatory, but here, here's the crux of the matter. They're just simply faulty. They're wrong. His accusations were wrong. He's up there in front of all the army shooting his mouth off like an older brother is wont to do, and these accusations, they're faulty. And the Bible clearly says in Exodus chapter 20, verse 16, thou shalt not bear false witness. You know, some of the things that come out of Christians' mouth, they ought to be slapped in the mouth for. Amen? When I was a, oh, when I was a wee lad, and I said something that was egregious, man, the backhand came. You say, that was abuse. No, that was a blessing. <laughs> Amen? It was. You know, I'm around kids uh, every day now. Um, close to 40 hours a week, and they don't care what comes out of their mouth. They'll cuss you. They'll kick you. They'll, they'll, they don't care. There's no consequences in their actions. And, um, but the Bible says, thou shalt not bear false witness. If you don't know it to be so, why would you open your mouth? And then even if you did know it to be so, where is the discretion? Where is the grace? Where is letting it hit here? Well, I'm not going to be a compromiser. You don't have to be a compromiser. Maybe just sometimes be nice. Oh, what a marvel idea. Be nice. I'm preaching myself tonight of nobody else, but they're faulty. Look in verse 17. Uh, uh, back to our text real quick here. They're faulty. They're wrong. These accusations are terribly wrong. In verse 17, David was obeying his father. His father's the one that told him to go take care, go, go see his brother. Uh, in verse 18 and 19, he's taking food to the captains. In verse 22, he's looking how his brethren fare. In verses 23 to 27, he's taking their pledge. 
Can you imagine what the report was? Hey, hey, son, how's Eliab doing? He's doing real good, Dad. <laughs> right? I was thinking about that. Take their pledge. Basically, he says, go see how they're doing. Look them over. Make sure they're not skipping meals. Making sure that make sure they're flossing. Right? <laughs> Just getting on that part, right? But then come tell me how they take their pledge. Basically, he's like, Dad wants to know what you got. Anything to tell him? You, you got any news? What's going on? And uh, and that's exactly what David was doing. David was an obedient son, a responsible young man, and one that had a very good disposition about him. A great spirit. David had a great spirit about him. Let me give you this last one here tonight. Eliab, the older brother, you know what he does? He has a problem with his conscience in verse 28. His conscience, as I see it, his conscience contained offense toward his brother. And Acts chapter 24, verse 16, Paul said that he uh, made it a point to be void of offense toward God and toward men. I believe there are a number of Christians, like the older brother, who might be void of offense towards God with their conscience, but they're not void of offense towards man. And Eliab, he had, he had an offense towards man. He had an offense towards his brother. He had a problem with his brother. It's glaring. His conscience contained offense toward his brother, and not only that, but his conscience had been defiled. You say, how so? Well, Titus chapter 1, verse 15 said that the mind and conscience is defiled. Go to Titus chapter 1. I want you to see this. A man that would, would say what Eliab said, when the Bible declares David to be of a beautiful countenance, remember the Bible's description of David? He was goodly to look at. And then the older brother, if all he can do is speak vile things, he had a problem. He had a defiled conscience. Look at Titus chapter 1. There is not one shred of truth in what Eliab said. I'll show you what the problem is. One fifteen, Paul says to young Timothy, no, we want Titus, I'm sorry. Did I tell you right the first time? Okay. He says, unto the pure, all things are pure. But unto them that are defiled and unbelieving is nothing pure. But even their mind and conscience is defiled. Old Eliab had a problem with his conscience, and that problem is his conscience was defiled, and a defiled conscience is brother to a bad mind. It's brother to a bad mind. It's right there in Titus chapter 1, verse 15. You say, okay, yeah, you know what, preacher? I struggle with my mind, and the battle's in my mind, and my mind don't matter. I understand. How do I take care of that? Look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. The reason you have trouble with your mind is because you're not putting the right things or thinking on the right things. Here's the prescription. And you can refill it as many times as possible during the day. There's unlimited refills on this prescription here. He says, Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. So it's happened to you. I know it has because it happens to me regularly. During the day, you'll just get this volley of negative thoughts that I'm not talking about sin, I'm talking about thoughts towards your brethren that are vicious, they're fierce, they're accusatory, they're derogatory, they're inflammatory. And if you catch yourself, this ought to be the rebound, right? Is what I'm thinking true? Well, yeah, it's true. Okay, well, is it, is it right? 
Well, it probably ain't right. Is it honest? Probably not the honest thing in the world. Is it lovely? No, it's terrible. Then stop thinking about it. He had a problem with his conscience and its brother to a bad mind. Not only that, but in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 15, you see that this defiled conscience, it's brother to bitterness. Brother to bitterness. 12, 15. Paul says here, Looking diligently, lest any man fail the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. You know what a lie was? <laughs> I don't need any fill in the blanks there. But he was a fellow that had a bad conscience, he had a bad mind, and he was full of bitterness. Bitterness. Bitterness will kill a Christian. It will defile your mind. It will defile your conscience. And here's the thing. The only cure for a defiled conscience, you ready for this? I think you know what it is. Is a regular diet of the Word of God once the defiled avenues are drawn to a close. Did you catch that? See, I say, uh, what good is it to eat all the right things? You say, all right, I'm going to eat. I'm going to eat healthy today. And you eat healthy all day long, but before you go to bed, you eat eight packages of Twinkies. Right? You just destroyed everything you worked so hard for. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on a diet, and uh, I'm going to eat healthy, no carbs or low carbs, no sugar, and then you eat, you know, six pounds of chocolate before you go to bed. I kind of threw it right out the window. <laughs> uh, one fellow said this, you cannot out-exercise a bad diet. So I don't care how much Bible you read, how much Bible you listen to, how much preaching, preaching you listen to, if you're keeping the windows and doors of this world and all that uh, garbage is going in, it ain't going to work. So what you have to do, it's real simple. You have to shut some windows. We're talking about taking care of our conscience. Shut some doors and then have the right motive. It's called replacement. Replacement ideology, not theology. <laughs> replacement ideology. It works like this. If your motive is right for pleasing the Lord, and if your method is right, you say, what's the method? Well, we just talked about it. You've got to shut the wrong windows and open the right ones. John chapter 3, verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. You have to allow the Lord to increase first, right? But you've got, right, you got to shut the wrong doors. You've got to shut the wrong windows. There's things that are coming in through your eyes, and through your ears, they have to stop. You've got to shut those things out. And then once those things are shut, then you can get the right stuff in. All right? You say, how so? Well, entrance of thy words giveth light, Psalm 119, 130. 1 Timothy chapter 4, 13, Paul tells Timothy, give attendance to reading. Amen? Now that reading will help. Not only that, but in 2 Timothy 2.15, study to show thyself approved unto God. Listen, if you're studying the Bible for two to three hours a day, uh, great if you can. But if you go home and watch R-rated movies every single night, you think it's going to help? You can doctrinally dispensate and divide and all that stuff, but you're watching garbage and you're listening to garbage and you're consuming garbage, that ain't going to help. You've got to shut her down. And that'll fix your conscience. So in closing... We have uncovered Eliab, the older brother. He is angry. He's got his angry eyes. He is nosy. Amen? He is arrogant. And above all, I see he's got a real bad conscience. 
We know of, uh, he knows of David's anointing, and his behavior indicates uh, envy in a most egregious way. Proverbs 27, 4, the Bible says, Wrath is cruel and anger is outrageous, but who is able to stand before envy? I believe what you're seeing here is because of Eliab's envy towards David's anointing. Well, who can stand before envy? Christ did. David did. And you can only with the help of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. I want you to notice real quick, and we're done. I want you to notice David's response in verse 29. Notice what David said. David said, What? Have I now done? Is there not a cause? That's all he says. And you know, the scriptures seem to indicate that that guy was, had, the cat had his tongue so bad he couldn't say anything else. You say, why is that? Look real quick at John chapter 18, verse 23. I want you to see Christ's response and how it lines up to David's response. John chapter 18, verse 23. David responds just like Christ. Paul, not so much. <laughs> John chapter 18, look at verse 23. Look at verse to, uh, <clears throat> 22. And when he had thus spoken, one of the officers which stood by struck Jesus with the palm of his hand. Can you imagine getting to heaven and being the one that struck the Lord Jesus Christ with his hand? saying, Answerest thou the high priest so? Look at Jesus' answer. Uh, if I was Jesus, which I'm not, I'd been like, dude, if I flick you, you're going 65 galaxies away. <laughs> Jesus answered him, If I have spoken evil, bear witness of the evil. But if well, why smitest thou me? You read that any way you want. There's no anger inferred. He didn't exchange railing for railing. Though reviled, he reviled not again. That's the way that Jesus Christ answered. And of course, Solomon, he says in Proverbs 26, 4, Answer not a fool according to his folly. But notice back in our text, and we'll close with this, and this and one more verse I want you to read and think about for the next millennium. First <laughs> uh, Samuel chapter a 17, look at verse 30. I want you to look at the first five words. When all that thing takes place, you know what David does? Bible says in verse 30, and he turned from him. Isn't that something? He said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? Verse 30, and he turned from him. I believe in the Christian life, when you're dealing with the older brother, you have to have grace. You have to remember, the, your brother's not the enemy. The Baptist church is not your enemy. The bishop's not the enemy. Amen? And the Bible's not the enemy. But what David did is he just simply turned from him, and we never hear from Eliab again. I want you to look at Romans chapter 12, verse 10, and we'll close with this verse. In dealing with the older brother, lest we become too righteously indignant and in thinking that we're David all the time, many times we adorn the garments of the older brother, we become arrogant, we become nosy, we become demanding. Amen. We think we've got to be in everybody's business. But here's, here's Paul, through the Holy Spirit of God, here's the decree of how we're supposed to treat one another. Romans 12, verse 10. 
This would be a good verse to memorize or underline or both. He says, be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one another. Often thought about when Eliab met up with David, even if, which it wasn't, even if what Eliab said was true, there's a better way to handle it, isn't there? If you've got a problem with the brethren, the Bible says, uh, debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself and discover not a secret to another. Eliab used that platform to broadcast his brutishness across the entire army, and you never hear from the guy again. Just some thoughts on the older brother, and I hope it was a blessing. Why don't you stand?